Welcome to another mini-sode. Today, we are celebrating both National Rural Health Day and the show's two-year anniversary. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. JJ, today is National Rural Health Day, and it is only appropriate that we dedicate some time here on Rural Health Rising to talk about the power of rural. This is the official hashtag for National Rural Health Day, which is organized by the National Organization for State Offices of Rural Health. And it's also the official website, powerofrural.org. So um, if you're listening today and you are just realizing that it's National Rural Health Day and you want to celebrate, go to powerofrural.org and you'll find all kinds of great tools and ways to celebrate today. Now, JJ, we talk about the importance of rural health care all the time on this show. It's uh, kind of the whole purpose of this show, right? Um, but I want to ask you personally, when you hear the phrase, quote, the power of rural, what do you think of? What does that mean to you? You are honestly asking me that question today, Rachel, on national. Yes, I am. Day. All right. Well, you know what? I can answer that. Probably will take another three or four episodes, but truly the power of rural. Um, we experience it here each and every day. And uh, the 13 years that I've been here at Hillstow Hospital, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not reminded of the work that we do for the patients in this community. Um, and what's so important is that when you look at a demographic like rural America, Hillsdale County, for example, uh, the challenges that we have uh, spoken about uh, time and time again on this on this podcast specific to transportation barriers um, and uh, local economy, et cetera, is that patients in rural communities struggle uh, to get quality, high-level specialty care in their backyard. And so the power of rural, as you look at it from our perspective, from my perspective, is the availability of providing services such as neurosurgery, ENT, and the list goes on, to communities like Hillsdale and into Branch and into parts of Lenawee County. That's for us. And you can you can put here in, fill in the blank, whatever community that is, the power of rule is the reality that we in many of these rural communities are the only hospital that operates in that respective community many times. Now, there are some bigger systems around those smaller rural communities. But again, what are the barriers? The barriers are getting patients to that care. So uh, the power of our hospital is that we're impacting and saving lives every day. You know, there again, there is not a week that goes by in which I'm not hearing a story of how we saved someone's life, whether it was in the emergency department, uh, whether it was up in the critical care unit. Um, it doesn't, you know, it could have been an office referral that saved someone's life. You know, someone was having some type of heart event and the list goes on and on. And I just, I can't imagine where our communities would be without rural hospitals because the patient that is experiencing those uh, attacks, the pains, you know, whether it's a heart issue or a stroke, um, to drive 45 or 50 minutes away is life-threatening. And so the power is that, you know, we get to take care of those patients locally. And, you know, when I think of rural health, you know, I think of how I grew up. I think about the care I received at the country doctor that I was able to, you know, have until I was about 14, uh, who practice in our small rural community. 
uh, it was even much smaller than, you know, Hillsdale proper. And so when we look at, you know, from a historical perspective of where I was, you know, rule to me, healthcare was that country doctor who I walked into the office and I went to church with his assistant, who also was his LPN, who was also the, the person answering the phone uh, and who happened to be related uh, to the uh, physician and the care that I received. You know, those are the things, those are the memories you know, that come to me when I think of rule. Today, when I think of rule, obviously in my role as CEO, uh, it's it's quite a bit more diverse. It's not just that rural right. community, you know, rural community. Right. Place. Healthcare's gotten a lot more complex and rural health has, you know, as well on some level. Absolutely. And I'm going to ask you about that here in just a minute as well, Rachel. But, you know, when I reflect upon the growth, even from my days of youth, uh, in knowing that the uh, center was affiliated at that time uh, in Camden with the hospital, uh, kind of an arm's length away, but really didn't know much about, you know, the hospital system or major components of healthcare because I received my healthcare by simply walking down the street into, you know, the building that was co-shared by a dentist. Uh, and those models are now, they're, they're going away in our, in our rural communities. They really are. When hospitals are looking at cutting services, sadly, the services that typically get cut, you know, number one is usually their obstetrics department. Number two is their psychiatric unit. And number three, they begin to look at clinics. And that's a concern because when we yeah. look at our clinics, you know, this is when, when I say I want to reach each patient in their, in their own backyard, that's what I mean. And, and the way to do that right. is you have to have clinics. So, you know, when I think about, and that clinic's closed, by the way, uh, that I, that I that went to when I was just a youngster. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. that community, you know, again, suffered a significant loss because when, you know, the physician left, then shortly thereafter, the dentist left and, uh, and, and, and then access to healthcare is stymied and delayed and individuals, you know, to drive to Hillsdale, which is a 20 minute drive from Camden, uh, in a small rural town is very difficult because of the transportation barrier. So when, when I think about rural health, I'm going back to those days. Now we can still operate in the complex model that we are, but I also can never lose focus on the quality care and the close to home care and the accessibility that I had as a youth growing up in a rural community. And when I say rural, Rachel, I don't even know if you've driven, have you driven through Camden, Michigan? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, okay. um, I like to, I'm kind of weird. I like to take different routes into Hillsdale sometimes. So like every couple months I'll pick a different route that I like. Cause I just like to drive through different areas of, of the countryside because it reminds me of Texas, reminds me of home driving through the country. So there was a while where Camden was on my route and I drove right through Camden. Yep. You know, so, okay. So you drive through Camden, there's no stoplight. <laughs> You right. know, there, there are no stop signs, uh, you know, on the main, <laughs> on the main thoroughfare. Uh, there's a few on the side streets, obviously, heavily populated by the Amish community. Uh, and mm -hmm. let's just talk about that. So when we think of, when I think of rural, you know, I grew up uh, on, on, a, on a road that had Amish all around me. And so that was very natural to me. I mean, I, I fully understood it. It was very interesting. We've had Nicole Mayer. Uh, on this program before, and Nicole would visit, you know, when 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 uh, we were growing up, and mm -hmm. uh, Nicole had never experienced Amish because she's from a place called Troy, Michigan, which she'd never <laughs> she'd never been out, Rachel, outside of Detroit, right? And so, you know, when they saw the horse and buggy, they're like, "Wait, what? What is this like? 
what is it? Is this pilgrimage? Is this a, you know, is this a Thanksgiving? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is what we live with every day. And, and so then we think about that though, you know, in rural America where horse and buggy are still the main transportation in these rural communities like Camden, Reading, Montgomery, those places. And you can insert a name here for any rural community, right? It just doesn't right, have to be anything right. in Hillsdale. And Amish buggies are prevalent. And so for an Amish ride to Hillsdale, well, if the horse can go, let's say, you know, three miles an hour, which I think that would be like a wee ride, three miles uh, per hour, you know, just imagine the time it takes to get to Hillsdale. It is a day's journey right. back and forth for, for the Amish population. And then we've seen, uh, you know, many times the Amish parked out in our lots. Uh, in, you know, most of the time they're trying to obtain rides and vans and other things. But the reason right. I bring up the Amish community is because that is rule. You know, that's that's rule. Right. And so then I thought to myself, all right, how do we impact individuals in their backyard? The way we do that is that we provide services close to home. And we've been very successful at opening clinics such as reading which is uh, between Hillsdale and Camden per se, but allows people in those areas to be able to get to a healthcare provider uh, relatively quickly, even if it has to be uh, a walk. And, uh, you know, Litchfield and Hillsdale proper. And as we look at expanding our services out, you know, the places that most hospitals are cutting, primary care offices, and, and, right. and services like that. We're looking at it. I mean, we've seen it. We, I mean, we're serving patient populations in communities nearby areas where we already had a rural health clinic that their clinic in their town, you know, 10 minutes away closed, and now they're coming to us for that care. It's, you know, this is not some story that we are, you know, jumping onto. This is the reality of what we're seeing in our community and in other communities across the country. Yeah, Rachel, and to your point, you know, when those respective communities that we know about, which we don't want to name on here, but you can just, again, insert a name. Every, you know, if anyone's listening to this podcast today, think about your small rural communities and think, all right, what systems and businesses and industries and healthcare have, you know, out-migrated? Uh, and so when you think about healthcare moving out of communities, it's a huge huge risk to those communities. Now, the the community I have been working with, unfortunately, you know, their healthcare provider left. It was a hospital-based system. Uh, once they leave, you know, it's very hard to start up the practice again. And here's why. Uh, simply because the cost of doing business today for healthcare is so high. You know, you right. have to come in with your equipment, facilities, and that has nothing even to do with the real costs, which are staffing. And then the, you know, the, the challenges we face with finding staff, Rachel, you know, I think right. we could oh, probably yeah. spend a whole episode talking about, uh, you know, the great resignation and how it's impacted us and that the boomerang generation, that they talk about that the retirees, you know, five or seven years ago are coming back to work. They're not, we're not seeing right. this. You know, that's not, not yet, at least if yeah. they're going to, Hey, hurry up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we could use you. We could use We you. could use you. Get over here. But, you know, what What we look at is, all right, you start a, you start a, 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 what's a health facility, whether it's even in an urgent care or just, you know, a primary care doc. You know, number one, recruiting to those areas is almost non-existent. It truly is. I mean, I could mm -hmm. start the practice mm -hmm. where that other practice left off. Uh, but number one, it would cost me a tremendous amount of capital, which hospitals do not have today. Number two, where am I going to find a provider? Let's say I do find the provider. Let's say for whatever reason, someone is willing to go to rural America and do a town that has maybe a gas station and luckily, you know, maybe a party store and that's about it to set up, 
you know, a practice. Which for those of you who are not from Michigan, that is a convenience store. Yes. <laughs> to the rest of okay, <laughs> to the rest store. of the world as far as I know. Yeah, that's what we call a party store. Uh, it's and, not party city. It's, it's not a party convenience city. store. It's a, a good point. Thank you, Rachel. Um, so, you know, ultimately, <laughs> when you look at the cost of doing business, uh, it's it's high. And so you look at, you know, all right, what economies of scale, you you look at it and say, all right, well, we if we own a clinic 10 miles down the road, does it really make sense to put a clinic in this community? And then that community suffers. So the cost of doing business today because of the labor shortage, finding a provider who would actually be willing to come to a rural community, and then finding the staff that would uh, staff you know, the, the facility, uh, all of these are, are significant challenges. And then the last challenge, in most of our rural communities, we know that they're very poor. And the yep. population is comprised of government payers. There's no mistake about what we witness here. 70% of our payer mix overall as a health system, not just talking about clinics, but overall as a health, health clinic uh, and hospital altogether, 70%, Rachel, of our payer mix is a federal government or state government. So Medicaid, Medicare. Right. And so government payers pay us at a fraction of what commercial payers pay. And as a result, hospitals and clinics struggle unless they're in some kind of, you know, SIPSA or or some type of uh, underserved area and can get an uplift from what's called a rural health designation, which again is a process to go through. Um, it's and, really, you know, there are a lot of those. Um, there are different rural health designations. We've talked about a lot of them before here on the show, but they don't necessarily, those individual things don't necessarily solve the problem, right? I mean, they no. they help plug the leak in the boat for a little while, um, but you've still got something that needs fixed ultimately. Well, absolutely. When you consider, Rachel, all right, so let's say I, I want to go into that respective community because we want to provide care close to home. And, you know, you, let's just say that the, the, everything lines up. You get the doctor, you get the staff, you are able to afford the equipment, you're able to, to put the rooms together, you're able to have a beautiful building, a nice parking lot. Uh, then you bring your payers in, they're all government payers, which means that you're getting a fraction on the dollar. And then you try to get these uplifts. And these uplifts are contingent upon a lot of things. The, the fact that the patient will, you know, go through their annual wellness check. It's contingent upon, you know, that you will have the volume. And you are never going to make up the difference strictly in volume, right? So it's not, you know, right. someone's, you've often heard the phraseology, well, I'll make it up in volume. This is an industry where you don't make it up in that volume. Right. You know, That's you just, precisely you the problem, right, right, is the volume. Exactly. And so the reality of it is, is, you know, the, the payer mix being the government, you have to look at uh, as a hospital system like ours, all right, where are we willing to make a community benefit investment? Now, what is community benefit, Rachel? Well, what that means is, all right, I'm willing to trade the financial losses of that community for the greater good of that community. In other words, I'm willing to take an operating loss. Now, if you were to say right. that for every clinic, what would you have? You'd have a, uh, a loss for your whole organization. Absolutely. Your Eventually, whole, right. And, and, and absolutely, your whole organization would suffer. And so when, when we as executives make decisions, they're very tough. We want to be in rural communities. We want to be able to have those primary care offices, but they're starting to shift and look a little bit different. And before we talk about the shift of those clinics and what it looks like with providers, I just want to, I want to hone in on this point. So, you know, we, we look at the challenge associated with getting it all set up. So it's set up, we, we say, well, it's volume, you know, we can get volume. Well, when we trade the loss of that 
let's just say it's a wellness clinic. Let's not even say it's an urgent care. It's a wellness clinic. Let's just say it's a provider office. Primary care. Primary yeah. care. You know, let's just call it what it is. It's not specialty care. So we, we're willing to take the loss and um, we're willing to eat that loss. Let's say the loss, and it has been in the particular clinic that I'm referring to, it was over $400,000 a year for uh, almost the last decade that that hospital system had had losses. That's a $4 million loss. Uh, you know, if you were to total it for those 12 years, uh, that's huge. You know, that, that, that impacts your day's cash on hand. Now, if you are a big system that can weather storms because you have a, a very good reserve, um, you know, that's could be seen as a drop in the bucket, cost of doing business. But when you get into rural hospitals running clinics, $4 million is a make or break proposition. It truly is. And when some rural hospitals have less than 50 days cash on hand, Rachel, um, that's that's a no-go. And so what we look at is, all right, I'm I'm going to trade that that loss and knowing that that community needs services. And as, as a result of that, I have to find the revenue from other sources, both inpatient, outpatient, driving the ancillary. When I say ancillary, that means a physician refers the patient to our diagnostics, you know, x-ray, laboratory, specialty care, surgeons, right. etc. So when we look at it from that perspective, we can weather some of those losses, but you cannot do that for all your clinics, number one, and you cannot do that uh, over a long period of time. Um, and so what we have to look at is, you know, when we talk about the economies of scale, all right, as I shared earlier, where can we send those patients? Now, Let's say that the patients are unable to get to another location, even if it's seven to 10 miles down the road. Uh, well, then right. it is my duty and responsibility as a, as a president of this hospital, in my mind, and not all CEOs think this way, to make sure that there's access points for everyone in our community. I firmly believe that. Uh, that is my mission, to make sure that we have access points. Now, what that could look like is a little different. It doesn't mean in everybody's backyard we place a clinic. What that means is, right. is maybe what we do as I have when I, when I was able to reach out to the department of labor to get a grant that provides transportation, right? Those right. are the type of innovative steps that hospitals have to take. And so, you know, what does rule mean to me has changed since when I was a young boy to where it is today. It's still rule obviously, but how that looks is a little different. It may not be serviced in that small respective community, but it may be in the communities next door. And so the cost of doing business in, in that particular community, we have to look at it as a business proposition. And if we're willing to lose, is it going to be a loss that we can sustain long-term? And that is the question of the day today. All hospitals are asking this, and you and I both know that we've had Scott Becker on this uh, podcast, and he has shared with us that hundreds and hundreds of hospitals mm -hmm. are at risk of closing over the next few years. And yep. that is because they're looking at dire situations like this in which you do not have, you know, primary care in those respective communities and you're not driving your ancillaries, yet if you have primary care in those communities, you're going to have a significant loss. How do you do that when you have no operating cash? Uh, it is a major problem right now for healthcare. So I know that was a rant. I know that was a long way around. <laughs> I do want to touch on another point, but I want to ask you a question first. So the point yeah. I want to touch on after I ask you a question is the point of how do you have those clinics then and how do you contain your costs? What I want to talk about is the development of advanced practice providers. But before we do uh -huh. that, I want to ask you the question, when you hear the word rural health, what does it mean to you? You've, you've 
you you have been in a rural health center uh, before. What does it mean to you and what does rural health mean in general? Well, when I think about rural health, I think about rural Americans and rural America. And when I think about that phrase, the power of rural, um, it reminds me how important it is to advocate for rural health. And also it reminds me how frustrated I sometimes get um, when I see a lack of concern or even a dismissive attitude toward rural health care because whether you're in a large hospital system and you are sitting in a leadership position and you have rural hospitals, but they're far away from your office and from where you work, um, when you don't give that the same weight and the same importance as the care that you're providing in urban communities, what and also when you don't have the same level of um, you know, respect for rural health and for mm-hmm. what we do in rural health, what that tells me is that you just don't care about rural Americans. Mm-hmm. And maybe you are, uh, you know, in a, in a government position. Maybe you're a legislator. Maybe you have some leadership in that regard. If you don't care about rural health and you're not willing to prioritize it, you don't care about rural Americans, period. Right. There's no way around that. And so... You know, today being National Rural Health Day, we were just in Washington, D.C. a couple days ago um, doing some advocacy on behalf of rural health because it is so important. If, you know, roughly one in five, one in six Americans lives in a rural community, we have to care as a nation and as a society and also as a healthcare industry. Again, it's like we rural shouldn't be this carve out like, oh, look at those cute little people trying to run their little rural hospitals, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, that's somehow. And that's you've somehow, experienced that oh attitude, JJ. I know oh you have. Goodness gravy. I know Absolutely. you have. And I have. I, I have too. And it's, you know, it's it. It's appalling <laughs> sometimes yeah. and it's infuriating other times. But, um, well, you I'll know, tell you I a think story, in rural Rachel. healthcare. Yeah, you know, please do. So, so the situation that happened to me is I, I had someone ask me, I don't know, it's probably a couple months ago. It's after you released that I was appointed to the Michigan uh, Hospital Association, Michigan Health and Hospital Association Board of Trustees. Uh, I had actually a very well-respected friend, government leader, approach me and say, how'd you get a seat at the big kids table? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What? How did you get a the big seat kids at the table? Big kids table. In other words, that is some of the mentality out there. That rule is just like, right. oh, you're, oh, you're rural. Right. And whether whether oh. that individual had that perspective or well, they were, you know, using the language of people who themselves have that perspective in a tongue in cheek way, it's still, it to your point, it illustrates the attitude that is out there it. sometimes about we rural health. We really do. We do. You know, we struggle with it, and especially you know when we go to conferences or events. And we explain it they're like, oh, so you're critical access? No, we're a no. rule <laughs> hospital, hospital, a system, a hospital system, right. you know, with right. lots of, you know, uh, folks that are practicing specialty care and a right. full continuum of care. And then you explain it to them and it's like, well, wait a minute. And they're what, like, oh, what, who are you affiliated you, with? What system do you belong to? And you're like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. we're independent. Not Our own. So then you are a critical access. No, I'm not a critical access. Well, I just don't understand. And they don't. The reality of right, these hospitals right. like ours, small, rural, independent, non-for-profits that have operated, you know, we've been around for over 100 years, Rachel, and right. and they don't see that, you know, because it's it's uncommon. 
And so right. it's, it's one, of, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but this is just a point that I think we have to raise is we're oftentimes just like, oh, your, oh, your rural health. But think about where do rural health uh, patients, you know, they're not getting their high-end care here. We have to have affiliations and partnerships with big systems. They shouldn't, big systems should not treat us in that manner. They should look at us like a very good feeder and a very good partner to them. Yes, Instead, they treat us very poorly. And I'm just going to be very honest. You know, we're, we're not, we're, we're very easily discarded. Um, and information sharing does not flow down uh, in, in all in, in, in an attempt on their part because they do not see us as really competitive in the market. Well, at the end of the day, yeah, I'm not going to be doing hard surgeries. But but that's where the affiliation relationship, and this is where big health systems should see their relationship with us. That right. would be that would be very beneficial to them. But you know, again, to your point, uh, just that feeling of uh, we're not we're not grown ups. We're we're still you know n- we do not have a voice. And in going to DC and in lobbying uh, Congress and, and congressional members for healthcare in general. Uh, not anything specific to Hillsdale, but just rural healthcare in general. Uh, right, I, right. I think that's a noble cause. I think that what we're seeing right now in the statistics and demographics presented to us by, as I indicated earlier, folks like Scott Becker, is that if we do not resolve this issue of hospital closure right now in America, and and we forecast that hundreds of additional hospitals close, Rachel, the devastating impact to those communities are are just you cannot comprehend it because they will right. lose their economic engines they will lose their one of their largest employers and everything else from auto sales to grocery stores will suffer and so this concept that that being small is an embarrassment or being a small rural hospital isn't isn't good um is really such a a devastating blow to every one of my staff and providers who come to work every day and work very hard to make sure that we're providing care to what some would maybe go oh well we don't serve that population um right excuse me you know that that is yeah. our patient base and and or if they do it's a small population and it's like well look at how generous we are oh yeah it's like oh pat us on the back so you know right. just I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to, you know, accentuate that issue that I've personally faced with this idea of looking down upon rule. They should be looking up and saying, you know what, thank you for the referrals that you're sending to our respective hospitals. Thank you for, you know, building a partnership through a joint venture or through, you know, a referral and, and sending your patients who need advanced care to our hospitals. And all along, Hillsdale's taking care of their blood resulting, their x-rays, their general surgeries, orthopedic surgeries, but, you know, that high, high, high end stuff brain surgeries, heart surgeries, those type of things that we would never even contemplate doing here uh, is something that they pick up, which has a far greater reimbursement than what they would get from 20 or 30 of my blood draws, you know? Right. So, right. so, so that is, they just haven't learned the lesson yet. I, I've said it before. Right. It's like the dog that runs after the car. Once they get the car, they're like, what do I do with it? You know, right. uh, I don't know what to do with it. And it's it's what happens right now in our industry. Big health are chasing us. We get emails, calls, mergers and acquisitions, this group, that group. They're all sharks in the water, every one of them, every one of those groups. 
uh, are sharks in the water and they are simply profiting off of the sale of a hospital. They don't care about those respective communities. They don't care about uh, the economic engine of that county or community. They don't care about health care. No. They don't. They care about brokering the deal and getting their millions and millions of dollars uh, to broker that deal. That's all they care about. And 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 when right. we see those deals occur and, and the brokerage of those deals, communities suffer. These people, fat cats, get their pockets lined up and they're marching themselves off to, to islands and exotic vacations while the community members are suffering because they do not have health care. It's absolutely wrong. There should be caps set on any company that can try to sell a hospital to another hospital. That's for another podcast. But at the end of the right. day, <laughs> you know, we, we've got to stay ultra focused on keeping rural hospitals viable. And that's the work you and I have been doing. Right. Well, and don't apologize because uh, as soon as I get on a soapbox, believe me, there's plenty of room for whoever else wants to join me. Um, and you are welcome to get on it with me. But, um, you know, yeah. So I think to your point, the power of rural is that there is an entire population of people in America who rely on rural health care for their life and also for their quality of life. And so if this, you know, if we don't figure out how to solve the rural issue, um, we're going to have a real problem on our hands in another 10, 15, 20 years, maybe even five years based on what's going on right now with the industry. Absolutely. Um, but if we're already seeing difficulty in the larger systems right now, having capacity and overflowing what would happen if all the rural hospitals around them within, you know, an hour, two hours drive close? Well, then anyone that is able to drive to those locations, are they even going to be able to access that care? And then they're just dealing with more and more of a uh, of a backlog and more and more people boarding in their emergency departments and uh, more and more staff leaving because of higher levels of burnout. So, it, you know, it'll become a, a self-fulfilling prophecy if rural health care, um, for whatever reason, were to implode, that would be the basically straw that breaks the camel's back for the entire industry, well, in my opinion. I, I and, agree. And that, to me, is the power of rural, is that if you don't have rural health care, the entire healthcare industry in this country will crumble. And I just don't think people recognize that because it's out of sight, out of mind, right? But for the <laughs> patients we see every day walking into our hospital, walking into our ER, walking into our obstetrics unit, it's not out of sight, out of mind. It's right here. And it's our community. And so that the power of rural is what we do and what our staff do truly every day. Very well. So put. with that, Very thank well you. Um, let's segue real quick into, because we don't have a whole lot of time left, but today is also the two-year anniversary of Rural Health Rising, if you can believe it, because we started on National Rural Health Day back in 2020. In the midst of the pandemic, what were we thinking? <laughs> what, Rachel? What <laughs> were we thinking is the question. Right? What, what were we thinking? Well, oh I can tell gosh. you, we were thinking about how do you get information out to communities uh, about the major pandemic. That was our first priority in the focus. But then transition quickly into how do you accentuate, you know, the role of rural health? And that's what right. we were thinking. Now, it's been a lot of work, mainly for you. 
um, creating, <laughs> you know, well, seriously, creating every dialogue, reaching out to uh, prospective presenters and speakers, um, tremendous amount of time on creating the scripts, uh, putting the original uh, footage together. You were doing it all by yourself before we had an audio engineer. Uh, you were doing it all. I mean, you were slicing. Well, no, them. I used Tim from the beginning. I, 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 I did all the editing and still do for our well, radio a, segments. But for the well, podcast, we started with Kenji because yeah. I was not about to try and do this by myself. Yeah. Can you imagine how horrible it would be? <laughs> well, I mean, it would have been very rough. But I do remember the first recording in which we were going to try to do it ourselves. And that's when you're like. Oh no, uh, we we're gonna have, oh, to have yeah, some yeah. help here. We're gonna have, right. we're gonna have to right have some that. help here, and we agreed. We got to find somebody. It worked out that you had a friend, etc. But but truly, the impact. And you know, I forwarded you an uh, an email last week from a CFO of a hospital system in the country who was listening to our podcast that said, "I, I want to connect with your my CEO with you, so you can talk to us about how do you." Uh, you know, save rural health, basically. How how are you, you know, controlling your margin and those type of things? Um, so we know where there's that story. There's many others of people telling us how it's impacting and changing lives uh, by by giving this great awareness. Uh, and, and truly, the speakers that we've had on here, Rachel, uh, and presenters ranging from, you know, the national, state, and even local level, um, they've been right. great. I mean, I, I can't, there's oh, yeah. not an episode where I go, ugh. That was awful. Or, you know, right. oh, man, that was a challenge to get through. Seriously, everyone has been. I feel like most of the time and you always like laugh at me about this, but I'm always like, oh, I think that was my favorite episode. And you're like, you said that last week and the yeah, week it's before, pretty much and all the week of before them. and the week before, yeah. you know, but they're so good. And and the people that we bring in are experts in their field. You know, the, the conversation naturally flows. Uh, and we're touching on such a variety of issues that are impacting not just rural healthcare, but healthcare in general. But it impacts rural the most because we often find ourselves with lower cash on hand. You know, access to staff is not readily available. We can't offer you know fifty thousand dollars sign on bonuses. So the the struggle is real for us. And other rural hospitals that pick up this podcast realize, you know what, we're right there with you. And what we're trying to do right. is give them examples of how to make it work. Um, not that we're right. experts in that area, but we've had some success uh, and it's it's through partnerships, you know, whether we bring on the local economic development, the statewide, you know, party uh, for the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, whether we bring together national congressional leaders uh, to interview and talk about the issues facing rule, um, we have been able to really uh, get get out into the the mix uh, and into the you know the podcast land. Uh, the idea that rural health has to be saved in America, or right. communities will die. And and we can name those communities off right now. You can go to a Becker's Health Report, and you can see which hospitals are closing this week, or that are affiliating or being sold. Yeah, and just uh, I believe just last week or the week before Becker's put out um, the updated list from there's actually a, a specific um, organization entity that compiles that list and Becker's reports it out. But um, those numbers have just recently been updated and they're, you know, not really encouraging at all. Um, but I want to ask you, JJ, what has been most either like most surprising or most unexpected to you about the process of creating and building up this podcast from when we started to where we are now? Well, I never thought that it would be recognized at the level it has been uh, across, you know, the whole healthcare continuum and, and throughout really this country. 
um, as we are s- s- raising awareness. I, I so so I was you know I thought well maybe we would do four or five or ten of these talk about the pandemic. Uh, get the information right. out, but then it just wow. Next thing we know, we're buying you know some nice equipment. We're getting some donations for a new studio, and we're we're really finding that there is a need to be advocates, and so we're filling that gap. And I'll tell you, it, it's a lot of work for you. It's a ton of work for you. Um, more more work for you than it is me, but it's still work. I mean, it's it's you know the interviews, you know the time spent, the prep. Uh, while at the same time, we're doing our other 10 duties. Um, right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we, we're not doing this because we like to hear ourselves talk. Uh, we can just sit around the office and do that. But yeah, I like I th- to talk. I don't have to hear myself talk. No, I can just talk. I can just talk. <laughs> and, and the fact that we have, you know, sponsors now for the program, that really shocked me and surprised me. It really did. When we got our first, yeah. hey, can we sponsor? It's like, when what? We got our first advertiser. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wait, what? Uh, really? And right. so I think that was that was eye-opening for me. And then eye-opening for me was just getting a few emails uh, early on about, you know, those who had picked up the podcast that weren't even in Michigan that said, you know, I really was was moved by, you know, that presenter or by your presentation and Rachel's on this particular issue. And I, I'll tell you, I think our minisodes oftentimes get more uh, traction and and I get more comments off those than I do maybe a national guest and maybe it's just me right. but I I just seem to get a little bit more of that and so that that's been eye opening for me and just the availability uh, to operate in this space of rural health I think has just been an awesome powerful uh, experience and you know something I want to say directly to to our listeners. If you're listening to this right now and you are in rural health, if you are in rural business, if you are in rural um, government, if you're in rural nonprofits, whatever you do, if you work in rural America and are making an impact in a rural community in some way and what you do has a relationship even indirectly to healthcare. We want to talk to you. We really want to have folks on this show who are experts in what they do, but who are also the boots on the ground in the rural communities. You guys have heard we've had, you know, quite a mix of different um, types of guests on the show. Um, but we are always looking for people who are passionate about what they do, are passionate about rural America and rural healthcare, who want to join us and have a conversation with us. Um, so if that's you, please reach out to us. Um, you can email marketing at hillsdalehospital.com. You can tweet us um, at Hillsdale CEO JJ or at Rural Health Rach or Rural Health Pod. Um, and we would love to connect with you and potentially, you know, have a conversation here on the show. Um, because I think, JJ, to your point of being surprised about the the traction that the minisodes tend to have, I think it's because a lot of our listeners relate to the rural healthcare executive who's in it every day. And I think that's part of why, because they hear you talking and they're living the same life you're living as a CEO or as an executive in a rural community in rural healthcare. And that it, there's some some solidarity in that. Um, so to, you know, continue that trend, uh, if you're also someone who works in rural, um, please reach out to us because I imagine our listeners would also benefit from from a conversation we can have with you on our show as well. And with that, Happy National Rural Health Day. Happy two-year anniversary, Rural Health Rising. And we will see you all back for a regular episode next week.
And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel's at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow our podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.